Amen. All right. Find your Bible. Turn to Numbers chapter 13. Brother Jim read a portion of our text for tonight. Numbers chapter 13. This is our fifth message. I think it's our fifth message here in the book of Numbers. Kind of skipping through the book here. And uh, when you find your place, there will be, actually we'll be looking at all of chapter 13. <laughs> Make you nervous. And uh, you're like, that's 33 long verses. We're going to be here a while. Maybe not. Maybe it'll be all right. So, Numbers chapter 13. All right. Have you ever looked forward to something and uh, only have it fouled up when you got there? <laughs> like really planned something out and you were looking forward to this big event and, it, and, and the day got there and it was like, well, that's a bust. <laughs> you ever been there? Come on. Certainly you have. Maybe it was summer vacation. You, you were, you, oh, I tell you, you were in school, it was school days, and you were waiting for school to get out, and you knew you were going on summer vacation, and you planned it out, and you're looking forward to it, wherever your parents said you were going, and as you're loading the car up, Aunt Bertha got into, and you went, oh, she's coming? Does anybody have an Aunt Bertha? I hope not. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever your plans messed up? Maybe, maybe you were in high school. Ooh. Maybe you're in high school and you had planned the perfect date. Ooh. You had wanted to go out on a date your whole life. You couldn't believe he finally asked you. Right? No, you're all excited. Yeah. And then uh, mom and dad says, great, where are we going? <laughs> Wait, no, you're not coming. Oh, yeah, we are. <laughs> oh, he didn't tell you that, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, no yet. You, you ever had plans that got ruined, royally messed up and ruined? Yeah. I remember one time it was summer vacation. I was going to be spending the summer. As most of you know, we had uh, moved away from Missouri, and uh, in the summer we'd come back. And I was I was back here one summer, and it was uh, oh I don't know early '80s probably. And my mother said, uh, "Oh." Your friend Jeff is going with you too this year. And I went, okay. I don't remember asking Jeff to go with me this year. <laughs> I didn't even hardly like the kid. <laughs> but we were neighbors, so, you know, Jeff came with me to Missouri for the summer, and that was an exciting time. It was different. It was, it was, it was okay. It was okay. But, you know, it can be pretty good discouraging when we have plans that we have made and they get fouled up because someone else shows up as well. Maybe some of you didn't, somebody you didn't want there, somebody you don't even like, somebody you, makes you nervous, somebody that's just an outright enemy of yours, and you get to this destination and you find out, man, they're already here, and you've just ruined the whole party. You didn't tell me they were coming. You didn't tell me they were going to be here. I wish you had told me. I might not have come. You know, actually, this is kind of what's happening to Israel here in, in, in Numbers chapter 13, we're in Acts 13 this morning, so I'll probably say Acts all through the, the message tonight. So, I mean, Numbers chapter 13. But this is really what is going to happen to Israel. They get to the promised land, and now what is going to happen here is they're coming face to face with some giants that are cluttering their promise. That's what I want to preach about tonight. I want to preach on the subject of when, when giants clutter your promise. You ever show up where God wanted you and you thought, boy, that's one what I thought. I know he wants me here, but I didn't think it was going to be like this. I want to look at that tonight here in Numbers chapter 13. Father, would you bless the word tonight? 
Again, we ask you just to teach us and to help us and to help me. In Jesus' name, amen. And in Numbers chapter 13, uh, God had given a command here to Moses, and uh, he was, they were going to send out an expedition. Roloff called it a committee. And he said, with any committee, there's, there was always ten too many. That's the problem with committees. You know, you, you, here's what happens. We're going to see here with a problem when, when you send out a committee. Uh, ten are usually wrong. <laughs> and they sent out this committee, and God told them, God told them, get twelve men, each, each a representative of a, of a, of a tribe of Israel, and get them out, and we see their names. You can look here in chapter 13, verses 4 through 15. We see the names of all of the men that, that make up this, this uh, expedition of twelve men that are going to go into Israel, and they're going to go spy out the land. Now, I know we are all familiar with this. You've heard from, about this since Sunday school. You know what's going on. But Israel is going to go and check out the promise. They've gotten close enough now. God says, go out and go and see, get in the land and see what it looks like. And the path was given to them. And God told them, you're going to go up through the north. You get on, get on a map sometime. They come through uh, all the way, way up north into Syria. And I I don't want to get into this too much because there's something interesting here. But it seems to me that they were never really meant to cross the Jordan River initially. They could have come through those northern mountains and down into Israel, and they didn't do that. And uh, but they, the, this, these spies were sent out, and they were come all the way up into Syria, north down by uh, Mount Hermon, which is in Dan, which is the very north part of of Israel. Above, for if you sit on the Sea of Galilee, I was there in January, and you can see in the time period of January, and uh, Miss, you, you might have seen it. I don't know if you, I don't get, but this the, this this white peak sitting away out in the distance, and we're sitting there on the lake in a boat, and I look at this white peak, I thought, what is that? And, and that is Mount Hermon. That is, it was beautiful. Nine, a little bit over 9,000 feet, this mountain is. You can see all the way from Galilee. But they would have come down through that area from the north, come down, and, the, and these spies came down all the way south through Israel. And they came down through the area, and they came and finally uh, ended up, and they searched out the entire entire uh, uh, country of, of Canaan, and they tra- traveled all the way south into Hebron. And they came out again. And then God commissioned, he uh, commissioned, uh, the, the commission that he gave was outlined here as well of what God wanted them to see. And essentially he says, when you get into the land, survey everything. Look at the people. You can look at this in, in, in the chapter. You can read through here and see this. Look at the people and see whether they're weak or strong. Look at the, the, the housing and tell me whether they dwell in tents or they dwell in, in permanent dwellings. Look at the land and tell me if the land is good or bad. And so he had outlined this expedition that was going to happen and God wanted them essentially to journal what they saw and brought it, bring it back to the rest of the camp. And, and he wanted them to have an eyewitness report of the land that God had already promised to give them. This went all the way back to Abraham, folks. This, is a, this has been around here for a while, this promise. And so Moses does what it, Moses does. He obeys God. Look at verse 21, chapter 13. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rahab as the, man, as the men came to Hamath. And what did Moses do? What, he just does what God told him to do. He got the men together. He got the committee together. He got this convoy, this 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 uh, this this group together, and he sent them out. And they began at the, like I said at the very north. They worked their way down thirty miles south of Jerusalem, and they began to journal 
a few things as they went. They journaled a few things and they collected a few things. You know all about the grapes by Eskol, right? You know all about those grapes. They went ahead and collected grapes and pomegranates and figs. Those grapes, that cluster of grapes was so large. I'm trying to imagine this in my head, how large this one cluster was that it took two men to carry them back. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. That, that, no, that, that's pretty fertile land on top of everything. So God had commanded Moses. Moses sent the spies out. The spies carried out what God had commanded them to do. And they came back. But, but time out here. My, my crazy brain, okay? I ask questions too much sometimes. But I have a question here as I'm looking at what the spies have done, how they've gone through the land. You can read this, everything they've accomplished here. And my mind goes to the big why. Why did God send out this expedition? Why did God... Now, now let me... Did, had they really spied out anything, all of this traveling that they've made out of Egypt? They haven't gone a lot... They, there hasn't been much spying out up to this point, has there? They've just been following God. They've just been following the pillar of a cloud by day and a fire by night. They've just been uh, going where God has told them to go. But here they've come to the to to the, uh, the 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 precipice of their promise. Here they've come here, and God says, "Send out twelve men and get a report, and come back and let everybody know what they're about to get." I think, why? Why did He do this? I came up with a few reasons, I believe. You, you could have some of your own, I'm sure. But maybe, maybe God sent spies out and he, they brought back their report so they could see how God fulfills His promise. You say, God, well, yeah, we know, I mean, obviously that God fulfills His promise. No, there, there's a little more specific than this, isn't there? If you turn back to Exodus chapter 3, look at Exodus chapter 3. At the very beginning... God sent Moses down into Egypt and look at look at Exodus chapter 3 verse 7 and 8 The Bible says and the Lord said I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmaster taskmasters for I know their sorrows and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians here it is, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. You see that though? A land, a big land, a good land, and a land of milk and honey. God was describing the land here that they were getting. This isn't just a piece of real estate that's off in the, you know, the New Mexico desert that you can get, you know, for about a buck fifty an acre. No, this is nice land. I were driving, many times I've driven I-40 between Arizona, California, and here, and along New Mexico, right on the New Mexico border, a little bit in from, from, from Arizona, there'll be billboards. This has been about 15 years ago now. Billboards that said 40 acres, $8,000. And you look around as you're driving down the interstate and you go, I don't know, that might be a little bit high. <laughs> There's nothing out here. No, this wasn't the land that God was promising them. God was promising them a fruitful 
a fruitful land and a, what he defined as a land flowing, described it this way, with milk and honey. That's pretty good. That's good stuff. But then in Leviticus chapter 7, or chapter 20, he says it again. He reiterates it again. The problem is that he's bringing them into a land of milk and honey. So the Israelites have heard this from God. They have heard about the land. They have heard about what the promise that God has for them, what it looks like, and, and, the, and how good it is. And maybe, just maybe, God has sent the spies in the land to have them come out again and just say before they come into the final landing into the, in, into Israel, into Canaan, they come back and they say, yep, exactly what he said. Can you believe it? We have been on this trail. We've been walking this road. We have, we have had the problems that we've had. We've, we've, we've grumbled. We've complained. We've been in trouble and we finally made it. And oh, I tell you what, it's just like he said. Just like he said, can you believe it? Let's go in and get it. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's what God was hoping. Maybe God understood that spies like this might have built some confidence for what was coming next. If God knew what the land was like, and He has already done miracles to get us where we are, Israel might be thinking, what is there left to fear? I mean, if we can look back here at what he's done, and now we get the report from the land that it's just like he said, well, let's just move on. What's there to fear? I mean, maybe, maybe you know, it, it can build confidence. It could show the fulfilling of God's promises. It could build trust. Trust in God alone. God did what he said he would do. God provided what he said he was going to provide. God is all-knowing. He is the all-knowing God. We know that. And so no one in Israel, think about this, no one in Israel had ever seen Canaan at any time. They didn't know what they were getting into. They didn't know. They had no idea. There's no way anyone in anybody could have known what Canaan looked like. And it could have built the trust that Oh, this all-knowing God. Wow. Only God could have known this. And this is our God. I love when, over in that psalm, when I believe it was a psalm of Moses, actually, he said, this God is our God forever and ever. And He shall be our guide even unto death. This is our God, the all-knowing God, the all-powerful God. And they come away from the situation, from the spies, and say, this is great, let's go. Yeah. I think God wanted Israel to know, hey, I can be trusted. I can be trusted. Maybe here's the big one. Maybe they can come away and realize this. It pays to follow God. Sure it does. Absolutely it does. But you know, none of this happened with the children of Israel. Isn't that sad? None of this happened to them. You, you, you can notice here what ends up happening in, in chapter 13. Let me, let me, I, I'm going to have to find my place again. I apologize. Sorry about that. Verse 28. Verse 28. The committee comes back. They verify the promises of God. Land's great. It's fruitful land. It's a wonderful land. Just what God said. But there's giants. <laughs> there's big, 
big giants. They're everywhere. Look at verse 27. I'll read 27, 8, and 9. 27, And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. So there, here's this, these two guys with this pole and all the grapes hanging off of it, and the pomegranates and, and the figs, and they're like, Wow, yep, it's fruitful. Here it is, look at it. Verse 28, Nevertheless, what a word. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Ugh. Yeah, his kids. They're still there. And they're big. They're big. Verse 29. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. That's up north. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Where are we going to live? No, we're not talking about a bunch of Bedouins and tents just scattered across the hills here and there that we can just kind of roll over and, and run out of the country. No, these are established people. The Anakims, the Jebusites, Hittites. We, there's no place for us. None at all. Kind of fouled up their ideas, didn't it? I don't know what they imagined. But come on, we're just as human as they are, aren't we? What do we imagine we had when we have a promise of God in front of us and we get there and, and we realize, well, not what I was thinking. <laughs> Lord, are you sure? It started out great, but boy, it's gone south pretty quick. I don't know. Are you sure about this? Yep. yep. No, Caleb and Joshua, they were ready to go, man. They were ready to go, Right? But the others said, nevertheless. Nevertheless. What they're saying is, it stops here. We're going to see in chapter 14, it gets pretty bad. It's really bad. I mean, they're, just, they're going to turn around and go back to Egypt. They're so mad, they're, they're crying and whimpering and wailing in the tents and upset and scared. They're going to go home. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. My mind got thinking again. I know, it's not good. But I thought, how could they do this? They saw, they saw ten plagues in Egypt that never touched where they lived, up in Goshen. They watched God systematically put Egypt out of the equation. The largest power of the, of the world at the time you know, no, they're worried about Anakims. They're worried about the Jebusites and the Canaanites in a country that is the size of Rhode Island, people. And God just wiped out all of the Egyptian army just not too long before. <laughs> they saw all of this. They had seen the parting of the Red Sea. They, they saw the manna every morning that they hated. The water out of the rock, the quail, because they hated the manna. Remember that? This light bread. Sick of this light bread. It wasn't wonder bread. It was it was it was good nutritious stuff that God made. They got more water out of a rock. Yeah. They have clothes that didn't wear out at this time. I mean, they're going to really find out that the clothes don't wear out here in a little while because they're going to be hanging around the desert for 
about another 39 years. <laughs> no, they saw the, no, they had the very presence of God on a daily basis in a pillar of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. How could they, how could they get to the, to right to the edge of the promise that they have and say, it's not possible. The giants have just fouled up the promise. How could they get there? Yeah. Have you ever thought Israel has seen things that we will never see? Israel has seen the miracle working of God that you and I have never seen. You say, well, I've seen some pretty good stuff. Have you seen manna? Okay. You haven't seen what they've seen. All right? I, I win. You haven't seen manna, I don't believe. So, I didn't, yeah, never mind. You know, what we see here is that the inhabitants of Canaan, let me say this right, the inhabitants of Canaan were too big for Israel's faith. Look at verse 31. What did your Jim read this a little bit ago? But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil uh, report of the land that they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land though we, uh, though uh, through which we have gone to search it, is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. That's pretty small. <laughs> no, they get stepped on real easy. They crunch and squish and splat. and it's if you, if you, I don't know how they taste. But it doesn't take much to kill a grasshopper. And Israel is saying, we, are, we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Kind of afraid, aren't they? No, they refused to enter the promised land here. They, it didn't matter what they had already seen. It didn't matter the proof that God had already given them. For some reason, they drew the line right here, and they said, we're not going in. And you know what God said? Okay. Okay. All of you 20 years old and, uh, and up, if you're 20 and older, you're going to die in the wilderness. Only, only Caleb and Joshua, we know this, only Caleb and Joshua go into the land. Moses dies in the wilderness. All of them die in the wilderness. Yeah. Doesn't it sound kind of crazy after all that they had seen and where they got to this point that they wouldn't trust God to get them into the land? Kind of crazy. What about our own promises that God gives us? God has given us promises as well, hasn't He? he have, yes, He has given us. We have individual promises from God that God gives to us as His child. He, he has promised to provide our needs, hasn't He? 
He's promised His presence by the Holy Spirit. I love this in 2 Peter 1.4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What a great promise we have of the indwelling Spirit of God and the power in the Spirit of God. What a great promise that is. We've been promised our provisions. We've been promised His presence. We've been promised His protection. We can go all the way back into Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. Listen to this. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. You know what the heritage is of the servant of God? There's no weapon formed against thee that's going to prosper. I like that. He's promised to make us like Jesus. Yeah. If you want to know what uh, what what true uh, predestination is, we've been we've been uh, in foreordination, nation. We've been it's been predetermined by God that we be conformed to the image of Christ. We are predestined in Christ, not outside of Christ. In Christ, and God has promised us. That He's going to make us like Him. And He's doing that as we speak. He's trying to make us like the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day we're going to see Him as He is. And we shall be like Him, the Bible says, in totality. I can't wait for that day. Can you imagine that? That's going to be great. But He's promised to make us like the Lord Jesus Christ. Promises. He's given us individual promises. He's given promises uh, to, to His church, to the church bodies, to all of those churches that are, the, that are a church of Jesus Christ. He's given us a promise that Jesus gave us a promise that He said that He'll build it. Remember that? I will build my church. He's given us a promise that the Holy Ghost of God will empower it. Acts, Acts uh, I believe, 1, chapter 8. But after that, the Holy Ghost will come upon you. He shall be witnesses unto me in uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the othermost part of the world, the Bible says. We see that it's the power of God, the Holy Ghost of God. Ye shall receive power. He's promised us the Holy Spirit of God. He's promised us also that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against the church. What are the gates of hell? Well, the gates gates in any city where the legal transactions were taking place. Where legal transactions were meted out. You can go through the Old Testament, you can see that in the you can if you tour, you see that a lot of these cities had these little gate systems and they were the and they would have a I think up in Dan there is one that had the, the throne was right, it was still there where the where the king would have sat there and he would have meted out justice and it's where all the, the public officials would have met. It's where Lot remember Lot was in the gate at Sodom. What would that mean? He was on city council, he was in authority, he was doing things like that. Jesus says the gates of hell, the legal systems of hell, will not prevail against the church. It's impossible. Doesn't matter what Satan can come up with. Doesn't matter what authority he has here on earth that God has given him to do. And, but he, he, there's nothing he's going to do against God's church. Not possible. We have promises that have been given us, given us individually, given us to his church. He's given us pro- promises in this life. And if we are anything like Israel, we have seen the mighty hand of God in our lives. And you have as well, haven't you? Some of you have been saved for maybe uh, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. 
And you can stand, you can stand at even any given time and say, I have seen the promises of God in my life. I have seen God do wonderful things. I've seen Him change hearts. I've seen Him provide needs. I've seen Him miraculously heal a body. I've seen God heal relationships. I've, I've seen God save a soul, you might say. And I can say, I've seen it all as well. And I've, I've seen Him do all of this because I've seen Him first do it in me. But no, God, God does wonderful things in our life and we have seen promises of God fulfilled in our life. I have seen it and you have seen it. God has given us promises in this life, hasn't He? God has also given us promises in the future. Future promises. Here Israel, Israel was at the very precipice of the ultimate promise that God had made to Abraham. They're going into the land. Why do they have to have land? Because you got to have somewhere for, for the Messiah to be born. <laughs> you got to have a people group. People need to live somewhere. God gave them the land. It's all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. As a child of God, there's a promise for us future as well, isn't there? I think of Ephesians 1.13. In whom ye also trusted, after ye heard that the word, heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. What does it mean to be sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, eh, friend? That's a legal transaction right there. <laughs> that's the seal of a king. That's what that's talking about. That signet that he'd put on, that say, put on any type of a document, that wax would go on there and they'd take that ring and smash that wax in there and that said, this was a legal transaction and it's unalterable. And the promise that we have of our future is that the king's signet, his seal is upon our life in the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed into the day of redemption when he's going to take full possession of his purchase which is us. 1 John 2, 25, and this is the promise that He hath promised us even eternal life. You like the promises of God? <laughs> we have promises in this life. We have promises in the future. And no doubt, God has given us great and precious promises. So let me ask you something tonight. We see the promises of God that were given to Israel. And the majority of them said, nevertheless, we can't go in. It's too big. It's too hard. It's too complicated. Essentially, they're saying, God can't do it. Oh, you can go over to Hebrews and read that. What, what, did, what, did, the, what did the writer of Hebrews say? Uh, through the inspiration of the Holy, Holy Ghost of God, was, was, they, they could not enter in because of unbelief. He said there, there was a rest for them, but they would not take it. And he says there's still a rest for the people of God. But Israel didn't go in because they wouldn't believe. But we have promises that we're looking at tonight even. I'd like to ask you, is God leading you somewhere? You've been watching him lead you. You, you. You've been trying to obey. You've been doing what he says. You, you think he's leading here or leading there, and and you're just trying to you're just trying to do what God says. And you're getting close to where God wants you. 
Maybe he's leading you somewhere where you've come and on the horizon you can see the head of giants. It's the head of giants or look like they're cluttering up your promise. God, I thought this is where you wanted me. Maybe, maybe it's a financial giant. You're going where God wants you to go. You're doing what God wants you to do. You believe you're in the will of God. You know you're in the will of God and you're looking on the horizon. I tell you, there's some financial giant that's sitting there and you're like, what are you doing here? Cluttering up God's promise. (laughs) Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's spiritual. God wants you to be in a certain place in your life and in your relationship with Him. And there's some spiritual giants in your life that are fighting you. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's just physical. Health issues. Problems like that. You say, God, I know this is where you want me. But I didn't know this was going to happen. I didn't know this was going to be here. I didn't know I'd be left like this the rest of my life. I really believe this is where you wanted me, and it's it's like they're still here. I didn't I, I didn't think this was what it was going to be like. Has God ever made promises in your life? Maybe you're living in one right now. You're right at the edge of a promise of God right now, and all you're seeing right now is his opposition. Maybe you've started out on this impossible trip and the will of God. And you've battled along and you've stuck with it and you've stayed along and you're just, you're just following God doing what He says, but now it's looking like the end is worse than the beginning. Hmm. You say, does that really happen? Yeah, it happens. No, don't get me wrong. God, God my Father planned it all. <laughs> he knows what, there's a reason behind it. But do you, do you really think Satan is going to just leave you alone when you start to follow God? Think about this. Why why was Israel full of giants? Uh, It was a good land. Everybody wanted to be there. I mean, if it's a really wonderful place to live, I think you would expect there would be other people that would want to live there too. What am I saying? It shouldn't be a real shock when these things come up. It's possible you've been trying to follow God and... uh, you just, you're there. And there's just a bunch of giants cluttering up the promise. So what do you do with them? Now we see what Israel should, should have done. We'll get into this here in a little bit. And they're going to mess up twice, actually. Well, no, they're going to mess up a lot more after this. But there's some other things that they're going to really mess up with. But they, what, what they should have done is they should have just followed Joshua and Caleb. We know that. And just gone in the land and trusted God. We know that. But what are we supposed to do? You're like, well, preacher, you just said it, right? Yeah, I know, but give me a little more. Let me give you a couple things to remember. In your life of following the will of God and getting to where God wants you, where He wants you 
in your spiritual walk with Him, where He wants you geographically, where He wants you in your in service, where He wants you in your family. Let me give you some things here. When there are giants cluttering your promises, <laughs> remember the ones that God has already killed in your past. Because if you've gone anywhere with God, you already have a bunch of giants behind you also. Take a little bit of time and look back at those. And remember the God that does not change. If He did it then, He'll do it again. Yeah. Remember also that sometimes God wants us to see how big the enemy is. So we can see how big God is. You know, Israel had a little bit of time here to stew on it, obviously. Scared them. But you know what they should have done? No, it would have been ideal if they, they had done. When they saw the, the, the giants there, they should have said, Boy, I can't wait to see how God does this. <laughs> this is a big one. I can't wait to see this. No, isn't that ideally what our response should be when we come into these situations? But it wasn't their response at all. We know that. So what are we to do? Just remember that sometimes God wants us to see how big He is. He allows these things in our life. Here's the third one I want you to remember. Remember that a giant may be big to you, but it is uh, never a giant to God. Never. God called the nations a drop in the bucket and a dust on the balance. He says He moves, moves them whithersoever He will, the kings of the earth. He sets them up and He takes them down. A giant may be a giant to you, but it will never be a giant to God. And finally, the fourth thing we do when we get at the edge of our promise and we see it all cluttered up like this, fear sets in. Discouragement, disillusionment sets in. Sometimes anger will set in. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Let, let me read, remind you, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run the race with patience that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What do you do when giants are cluttering up your land? Just keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Wasn't that Peter's problem? He walked out of that boat. Yeah. He was doing all right. Walking on the top of the water. Pretty cool, wasn't it? Yeah. And the Bible says, if I remember right, if I word it correctly, he says that he, he, he looked around and he's, he saw the, the winds that they were boisterous. He, he saw, listen, he saw the circumstances around him. And he got his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink.
Keep your eyes on Christ. If giants are cluttering your promises tonight, and you've lost sight of Jesus, would you just fix your eyes on Him again? And just trust Him to lead you forward. Would you do that? Can I remind you something also tonight? The giants that are in your life, the giants that God allows, the giants that are in the promised land that God is, God has for you, those giants, listen to me, they will never, 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 never win. They can never win against Jesus Christ, ever. I don't care how bad they look. I don't care how big they look. I don't care how, how, how uh, just overwhelming they look. They cannot win against God. It's not possible. So keep your eyes on Christ. And He'll take care of the rest. Heavenly Father, I want to thank You tonight.